0: Hey, I'm Adam. And I'm Brian. Of Everyone Has a Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World.
1: If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes.
0: And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me.
1: And I'm Derek Myers. And I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation.
0: Episode 229, Movies About Movies or TV. chris McBride, and that is derek myers and this is pop goes your world the pop culture podcast for the generations now this week derek and i are each going to run down our top five favorite movies about movies or tv and we're going to explain that a little bit more when we get into it and set down the parameters for that but first what pop culture have you been able to take in in this past week derek
1: well i actually found myself glued to my tv this weekend i don't know why i mean I just seem to have a lot of extra time, so uh, I've got a lot of. Is everything. that unlike any so, other week, really? Well, I mean, I think it's partly because we're getting towards the end of summer, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm spending fewer of my evenings out by the pool and more of my evenings inside by the TV. Oh. So, and and because hockey hasn't started, I don't have that as a distraction yet. Oh. So, I had a chance to watch a bunch of things. But before I even get into that, mm-hmm. I want to tell you, I had a chance to go and see a concert between the last show and this oh. show. Oh, Who you go see? I went to go see. Two great Canadian bands that made it big in the 80s. Oh, I can't wait. The The Spoons. Oh, yes. Romantic and, traffic. Oh, and nice. Glass Tiger. Oh, Glass Tiger. There's still yeah, I would love to go see Glass Tiger. Let me tell you, I've been to a lot of concerts. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you go to a show and when a band performs live you really get a sense of how much help they had from the producer. And you realize that what they sound like on the album, what they sound like in real life are, are in some cases very different. Mm-hmm. I got to say, whoever was the producer for glass tiger had the easiest job in the world because they sounded exactly like the album all these oh, yeah. years later. It sounded perfect. And they put on the show for 90 minutes. They sang every song, all their big hits and they did a whole bunch of cover songs as well. And it was just a great time. It was uh, it was at the outdoor band shell here in Toronto at the CNE at the Canadian National Exhibition. Oh, so nice. price of admission to the park got you in to see this show. And uh, yeah, it was great to see a couple of uh, local bands from the Toronto area performing, uh, you know, 35 years after they were sort of big. But uh, no, it was a lot of fun, and the crowd was definitely like our demographic. There were not a lot of young people there, mm-hmm. but uh, no, it was a lot of fun. I, I, it was a great time. So if you're uh, if you're <laughs> have the opportunity to ever see Glass Tiger perform live, you should go. I think if you're if you're even a marginal fan of the band, you'll you'll be surprised at how good they sound. So that was I that think was a couple of years hard. ago. I mentioned to Yancey
0: on this podcast, and I was like Glass Tiger. He's like, I don't know who the hell that is, and then I made him listen to. Their big song, Don't Forget Me When I'm Gone. And then he was like, oh, I've heard this before. So, like, you know, I think it's one of those bands, if you're American, you know, you hear the song and you're like, oh, yeah, I know these guys.
1: They were, they they had some good songs. I liked them a lot. No, they had a really good time. So, Um, but aside from that, I had a chance to watch some things. So, I watched two movies and a bunch of documentaries. Let me start with the movies. Sure. So, the first one uh, is a movie that uh, I want to say was released in theaters around Christmas time and is now available on Crave HBO. And it's called American Underdog. It's about the football player Kurt Warner, who I didn't really—I mean, I'm not a football guy, so I didn't know anything about it. But it's this whole story of you know he's he's considered the best undrafted player ever in football, and um, it's this whole story of all the struggles he had to to basically make it into the nfl uh despite all the hardships uh and having all this talent and uh it was good i mean because i don't know anything about him it was all new to me but you're not going to make a movie about the guy unless he succeeds in the end i just had no idea how successful his career actually was until the very end when they start saying like this this is what he accomplished after this movie i was like holy crap so yeah it was entertaining if you if you like sports movies it was pretty decent um, like I said, I, I watched it on uh, crave here in Canada. I'm pretty sure it's on HBO in, uh, in the U S. So that was the first one. Second one was on Amazon. And let me tell you, Chris, if I told you, mm-hmm. or if I asked you to tell me what is Sylvester Stallone's best movie, What is, you know, what, what would your answer be? Mm, that's a great question. Um, Rocky three. You know go with Rocky three. Yeah, I think so. Well, I might go with that. You may you may want to hold off on that until you see Sylvester Stallone's latest offering. It's a movie on Amazon called Samaritan. Okay. And it won't change your mind at all. It was awful. <laughs> it sucked. I was going to say, <laughs> so better bad. than Rocky 3? No, no. I was just messing with you. So <laughs> it's, it's the idea is it's like this superhero movie-ish where at the beginning they talk about like, in our world there were these two brothers who were superheroes and one was named Samaritan and one was named Nemesis and they were a good guy and a bad guy and they had this fight to the death and and you know 25 years ago they both died in this explosion and that's when the like that's sort of the the preamble at the beginning then the movie's like okay now here we are in the in the modern day and the story follows this I think the kid's supposed to be about 13 years old and he's like one of many people who are like well no i think these superheroes are still alive they're just in hiding i think the hero is just in hiding he's still alive and um it turns out sylvester stallone is is the hero and yes he is in hiding he's just trying to live a normal life and he's trying to fly under the radar kind of thing and of course the story being the story he ends up in a situation where it's completely obvious that he's the guy with the superpowers, and then it just becomes an action-packed shoot him up, punch him up, explosiony kind of movie. Um, yeah, not not the best thing in the world, but if you want, you know, an hour and forty-five minutes of turn your brain off and seeing Sylvester Stallone play a really over-the-hill superhero, it had its moments. It didn't have many of them, but uh, yeah, not going to win any Oscars for this one. Finally, I had a chance to watch not one, not two, but three documentaries this week
0: for 40 days and 40 nights watch documentaries he likes to learn about the world it's Derek's documentaries Derek's documentaries
1: all right so all three of these are on Netflix and all three of them dropped in the last couple of weeks so there's a good chance you're probably seeing them show up as hey this is something new on Netflix you should watch it the first one is about john mcafee so you're like hey that name sounds familiar you know like mcafee anti-software on your computer oh yes okay yeah that's the guy the guy who created that john mcafee so he sold the company years and years ago and made billions of dollars and then became a total nut bar and uh so he was so convinced that the weird stuff was happening in his life that he actually brought journalists with him, like photojournalists with him, because he wanted his life documented because strange and weird was happening. And uh yeah, this movie is bizarre. I didn't know anything about this guy. And the first hour is pretty interesting. They they explain like who he is and why the film crew's there and some of the some of the crazy shenanigans that happen. Uh he's wanted by various governments for for all sorts of bizarre crimes. There's a murder that happens where he's like a suspect, so he flees a country illegally, and he's like buying off police officers, but he's still like a a gifted computer guy. So he's like hacking into like government databases to get information so he can blackmail people so he doesn't have to go to jail. It's just, what the hell? First hour is like, where is this going? The second hour was garbage. It tanked so bad. I was so disappointed with the end of this. I mean. When you base it on a real life thing and you're doing a documentary, you don't have the luxury of making up the story. You have True. to just go where the story yeah. brings you. Unfortunately, the second half of this story is garbage. The first half is like it's like a, uh, you know, a, a train wreck. You just you have to watch it because you're like this is both disturbing and fascinating at the same mm. time. But the, the second half was was a huge letdown, in my opinion. Anyway, I, I didn't care for, for the ending. Um, You know, it's uh what do they say? The candle that burns twice as bright burns half as long oh boy he did definitely half as long but uh yeah it's anyway it's on netflix called running with the devil the wild world of john mcafee <laughs> i didn't care for it I, like i said the first hour was interesting and then there's sort of a clear division like it's sort of like an ace like an a story and a b story and uh, the b story takes place like seven or eight years later if you're interested in this i would just watch up to that part and then when they're like okay seven years of pat just stop watching like you don't <laughs> need it you, whatever you think is going to happen, you're probably 100% correct, and it's going to be boring. You're going to waste an hour of your life. So can't give that one the thumbs up. The other two were both sports documentaries, and they're part of a series on Netflix called Untold. And um, the first one – I can't remember. I may have even talked about this last week. The first one I watched was called The Rise and Fall of And One. Did we talk about this last no, week, Chris? No. Okay. So this is about ba- – these actually, both these documentaries are about basketball. And you know me. I'm not a basketball guy at all. Yet here I am talking about a football movie and a basketball documentary. Um, so and one was a brand of basketball wear. it started off as, as like apparel, like T-shirts with like, you know, trash talk sayings on them. And then they expanded into sneakers and other things. They got celebrity endorsements. They started doing um, basketball tournaments. And the idea was that they're. Their players and the people that they were trying to appeal to were like street ball players. Like they were like hustlers. Like they were guys who were just as interested in the finesse and the showmanship as the skill of the game. And it it was interesting because it it was a direct competition to the NBA. The NBA was all about perfection. You want the best guys doing the best things. Whereas these guys were more about putting on a show. These guys were more like basketball. Well, maybe not that much of a show, but hmm. um, anyway, it it was quite interesting. It it talked about like how these guys, you know, sort of the overnight success story. They had this interesting idea. They got to the right place, right time. Um, they managed to to get the right people. They had they fell into some happy accidents where the things they planned didn't work the way they wanted to. So their backup plan ended up actually being more successful than their primary plan, just through total fluke. But it was quite good. And of course, like so many of these stories people got greedy the money got in the way and the whole thing fell apart by the end and uh no it was it was very good very entertaining um again i didn't know anything about it at all so it's called the rise and fall of and one uh the second uh sports documentary i watched was i just watched it this afternoon or well tonight it's called operation flagrant foul and it was about an nba basketball referee Who was betting on the games while he was refing? Oh God! And he's he's saying that he wasn't throwing the games, and his stats would lead you to believe that he wasn't because they like at one point they say there were sixty referees in the league that year, and all the all the refs get scored like think like mystery shoppers that watch the games and and judge the referees to make sure the refs are making good calls, and if they're Mm. not, they get new referees. And he was number three out of sixty. For making the right call at the right time in the right game so like he was saying like hey if i was throwing the games why is it that there were only two refs better than me out of 60 in the entire season like come on but still you're you're an nba ref don't bet on the games oh and they're totally were not allowed to no but what he was doing was he had access to inside information that today in today's day and age everyone would have access to but at the time it was things like He knew that a certain coach and a certain referee had gotten into a fight at a bar the night before. So the next day, the referee was going to give that coach's team a hard time and call a whole bunch of fouls that maybe would normally not call as often. Or, you know, he would know about like things like that, like personal issues, personal problems. He would hear like just before a game, oh, this this team uh half the people on the team have the flu so they're not gonna be playing as well and so he was like calling his bookies and calling the guys who were making the bets and saying like you need to bet on this team tonight um for whatever reason and i think they said in the one year he did his bet he bet on like 50 or 60 games and he had an 80 percent winning winning percentage so he was, like oh 79 God. point something and it's like that's unheard of <laughs> um so anyway uh, sort of spoiler, not so spoiler. I mean, they wouldn't do the documentary if they didn't. But everyone got caught in the end, and a whole bunch of people went to jail, and and pro- you know, some people got fined, some people didn't, some people got off that you may not expect, and some people didn't. Um, it's uh, it's an interesting look at this, and knowing where sports gambling is now and how prevalent it is, and how big a part of the revenue stream it is for all professional sports, especially basketball, you got to wonder how things would have played out today if this had been if this had come to light instead of say you know 10 years ago but yeah quite good so the two documentaries i would definitely recommend are part of the untold series on netflix the first one uh, the rise and fall of and one and the second one is operation flagrant foul both excellent the john mcafee one running with the devil two thumbs down don't waste your time on it
0: hmm, interesting okay i got a couple things for you i added a couple of items to my pop culture collection in the in the in the past little while so one was i was able to get my hands on and we went to this my, my my family and i went to this like it was like a little candy store kind of and they had some like pop culture stuff in there and one of the things that they had was an unopened wax pack of collector cards from et the extraterrestrial from oh, 1982 nice so i I bought this pack of cards how much did they charge you for it it was five bucks oh geez that's nothing i'm like oh my god i I have to buy this so i bought it and then of course you know i get home and then my youngest son says to me all right let's open it i'm like no i'm not gonna open it he's like why not you want to see the cards and i'm like no i'm not gonna open the whole point is that it's it's closed that's what makes it collectible you know no one's opened this yet although i'm tempted now because I really want to get the gum. I was just about to say, does it have gum in there? Yeah. So, so there's that. And then the other thing was, I, then I took my youngest son too to this other, there was this event that goes on locally and they have like a lot of vendors and stuff like that. And one of the vendors had all these like collectibles, but it was mainly like Pokemon cards. That's what my right. youngest son loves collecting, these Pokemon cards. So we we go there and he's looking at all these Pokemon cards and I'm over in the corner. I'm like, oh, I found something for daddy. And it was the complete set of 11 stickers from the 1976 Happy Days trading card set.
1: Oh, nice. <laughs> so I got,
0: I got it for 10 bucks. So he's like, yeah, you can just... 10 bucks. That's all I want for those. You can just take them. I'm like, nice. oh my God. Like, Fonzie's on all. I'm like, they're just so cool. So I was really happy. So they're they're both over on my shelf. And you have helped me over the years add to my collection over there. Uh, I remember last year, you and my one son went and got me the Bosque uh figure from the empire strikes back and i've got of course bestman luke and like the, the the cylon raider and all this other stuff going on over there so anyway i just wanted to mention this is what uh, this is what i do it's i don't watch nice. anything new on netflix i just do these kind of crazy things so i do that oh another thing that i do is this here's your dad joke of the week derek did you hear that the movie <laughs> that the movie titanic turned 25 this year uh
1: i did not hear that no <laughs>
0: at 25 years old leonardo dicaprio no longer wants to b- oh.
1: not cool man this is a little more chris's documentaries than derek's documentaries <laughs> was I, thought, I in it I, like did they did they, they feature know, me I in what? it I, a chance to watch it, yes. And I don't normally talk about things I haven't seen. Did they
0: go like local celebrities or something like
1: that? Well, I think it's going to be kind of laughably bad.
0: Have you seen my old TV show? But that was as old school as you can get.
1: I'm not really holding out hope that it's going to be awesome. Good luck on that one. If I really want to understand Chris and who he is, I need to watch this documentary. If you really want to understand me,
0: go back and watch like WKRP in Cincinnati. (laughs) Just a little comment on that drop. i tell you what. If you really want to understand me, Derek, okay, I just uh-huh. want you to put things in perspective. Tell me th- something, you know, happened 30 years ago. Okay. My mind automatically goes to 1970. And then you're like, no, it's 1992. I'm like, oh my God. And I just like am miserable for the rest of the day. <laughs> That's how you understand me. That's how my mind operates. I think like 30 years was the, the, the 70s. So... Okay, so this week's topic, we're doing a top five list. We're going to go from our, our top five up to our top one. We're going to win in reverse order, of course, like we do. Of our favorite, movies about movies or TV. So maybe we should explain this a little bit because you and I, we didn't really set any parameters on this. We just said, hey, let's just talk about movies that are about movies or TV. And like, okay. So really, like for my, my take on it was like I wanted to kind of go with movies that were like about movies making movies or about making tv shows sort of thing that's kind of the the approach that i took on it and and there's quite a few movies about that um did you take the same tack on it
1: yeah i have i have one that might sort of just sidestep that a tiny bit but i i've I've been thinking about how to bring it back to the the thesis statement but yeah that was definitely definitely where i went i left
0: out two and I, I, i we don't know each other's lists as we're coming into this, we, we always come in blind, but I left out two. So I left out King Kong. I, I I mean, it didn't quite fit the bill for me, even though it's one of the greatest films ever made. The 1933 one I'm talking about, not that 1976 one with uh, Jeff Bridges and Jessica Lange. but because like the, in the movie, like they're going out to kind of make a movie about this island. And then they kind of stumble along it. But to me, it just didn't quite fit. And the other one that I was going to do, it was originally on my list and I got rid of it was Wayne's world because in Wayne's world, As much as I like that movie, um, them, the two characters doing this kind of local cable access show is just kind of a small part of what they do. So I just I ended up leaving it off the list. But um, okay, so we're going to start at our number five and work our way up to number one and you get to kick things off.
1: Um, So what's your number five movie that's about movies or TV? So, before I jump into my list, let me give you a couple of caveats. So, oh, yes. again, I didn't know what your list was going to look like, but knowing you, I figured it was going to be a lot of older movies. And I find that we no, don't give the not we really. don't give the '90s enough love on this show, mm-hmm. and uh, that may be something we have to remedy in in you know sure. next season. But uh, for now, um, I, I, I put my list together, and I had a lot of movies on the list. And when I started narrowing it down, I realized most of the ones i wanted to talk about all fell into the 90s so i ended up finding five what i think are five great picks from the 90s so all five of mine are going to be in the 90s and i don't really have a preference of the order this isn't uh where we're saying number one is my favorite or number one is the best so i'm just gonna go through them in the order they were released uh with the oldest one to the newest one um but with that caveat one of the movies that didn't make my short list but didn't make my list list uh, mm-hmm. is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that came out just in the oh, last yeah. couple of years. Quentin yep. Tarantino. Yeah, I only had a chance to see it the one time in the theater. I liked it. I felt it was really long, but I, I the more I thought about it, the more I realized that you know I think there's it's got a lot of uh, value if I was to go back and see it. But that's uh, that follows Leonardo DiCaprio's character through his career as a as a movie star. So again, this that would sort of fit into this category, but I just felt it was a little too new, and I I didn't have enough distance from it yet to, to really feel if it if it would make the list in the way i wanted it to so I, I want i want to just let the you know the listeners know i thought about it i considered it and that's uh, you know I'm, I'm not putting it on the list but this is one of those ones where i actually did see the movie and i'm not leaving it off because i i forgot about it or, or had not seen it so that being the case uh i'm gonna jump right into my list so my first movie is from 1992 okay. and it's called the player starring tim robbins Hmm. Have you seen the player? I have not seen the player. Really? Wow. OK, so it's uh, directed by Robert Altman, the great Robert Altman. And uh, I'll just I'll just read a little IMDb blurb here. It's a uh, Hollywood studio executive is being sent death threats by a writer whose script he rejected. And it's this sort of murder mystery that's playing out in Hollywood behind the scenes. And you have this executive played by Tim Robbins. Um, Who is still going about his day-to-day job and he's going to all these meetings like a movie executive would in the 90s And one of the things well, this movie has a lot of things that it's well known for one is that it has something like 60 cameos from real Hollywood people playing themselves It's the idea is that it's like actually taking place in the here and now So you've you've got this ridiculous amount of celebrity cameos who are in it for very small bits and pieces playing themselves exactly like um like they are in real life like you know you could argue they're not actually acting they're just on there being there but this also has uh it's well known because the opening shot of the film is like a, a continual shot that runs like you know three or four minutes and again it's one of these ones where you know we often talk about how raiders of the lost ark is a good example uh by steven spielberg of a master basically showing you how to make a movie how to set pacing how to tell a story this is a master director at the top of his game with um with robert altman showing off the fact that he he what he can do this where most uh most directors can't he's got this amazingly long non-stop one shot one take uh well i probably had to do many takes but it's just this this long continuous shot at the beginning and it's back and forth and people are walking in and out and you're following different people at different parts of their conversation um yeah i'm also surprised you haven't seen this because fred ward plays a very large part in this film
0: and Ooh, i know remo how much you love williams. him we, oh, know,
1: we know him from remo williams yeah so but um yeah it's uh, i actually had to watch this movie at university in one of my uh one of my film classes that was the first time i ever saw it i mean i'm a big fan of tim robbins i mean most people know him from the shawshank redemption uh in which he is fantastic but uh, this came out a couple of years before that one did and um yeah, it's just, it's it really gives you a glimpse of sort of the behind the scenes, how movies are made, but not necessarily the like, how do you shoot the movie as much as it's the the business side of how a movie is made all the the goings-on and the backroom dealings and the you know we'll, we'll do this for you if you do this for us the deal making and the swindling and all that stuff again it takes place uh, in 1992 the year it was uh, the year it was made so it's some of the things that are happening in this movie are clearly going to seem dated at this point just because the world has changed a lot since then but unfortunately a lot of things are going to be very much the same because there's always going to be those sort of backroom deals where money talks and and experience matters and who you know and uh, so the player you want to get an idea of how hollywood works behind the scenes or at least how it did in the 90s watch the player all right um probably no surprise the majority
0: of my movies will all take place before 1989 but one not a surprise at all shocking i know um but what my number five is actually a, a quote unquote newer movie i call it a new movie it came out in 2008 and that's tropic thunder I know it's a little bit out of my wheelhouse when it comes to movies, obviously, but it's directed by Ben Stiller. And if you haven't seen it, it's about these actors that are making a movie about the Vietnam War. And then like the movie goes over budget and like the studios pissed because they're not getting enough dailies back and there's there's no, not a lot of progress. And the so they decided to take these actors and they drop them in a jungle and then they film them. But the problem is that the area that they go into, there's like a drug cartel like in the area. So they start getting like really shot at. Like one of them steps on a mine. Like it's, it's all this craziness, right? But my favorite part is there's there's these two actors that are basically unrecognizable in their roles. So first is Tom Cruise. He oh. plays this kind of overweight, balding producer. He's like yelling and screaming, just chewing up the scenery in his scenes. Like it's, it's, it's really, really good. But the other one and the best is... Robert Downey Jr. So <laughs> Have you seen this movie? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so he plays this method actor Kirk Lazarus. And this actor always like gets right into his roles, right? So in this movie, uh he's supposed to play an African American man. So he gets this skin pigmentation like done to himself and he like talks in like this African American vernacular. <laughs> My god, it's like he's completely unrecognizable. And he was nominated for a Best Supporting Actor uh, Academy Award for this movie. But the scene I like is when he's talking to Ben Stiller about how Ben Stiller played a mentally challenged character in his previous movie. It was called Simple Jack. And it's right. really offensive. Oh, yes. And, and Robert Downey Jr.'s speech in this scene, it's like, it's one of those things that I think if you were a writer and wrote this scene and then watched it play out, you would just be like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he did this. Um, the first time I saw that scene, I almost fell off my chair. Let's just say it's not repeatable. OK, no, it'd be a lot of bleeps if we tried yeah. to repeat it here. But, yeah. you know, the thing is with me, Derek, I always like to incorporate little quotes for movies when i'm talking with my kids i always do this okay don't worry this isn't going where you think it's gonna go but we were we were playing bingo a little while ago and and then i win with my kids i get a straight line in bingo when i win and i yell bingo and my youngest son is like no 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 i don't want to let's just keep going let's let's play full card and i'm like just without missing a beat i'm like you never go full card no, oh, you go home empty handed. And of course, you just have any idea what I'm talking about. Right? And it's like this little inside joke of myself. I really need to get out more. <laughs> that's my thing. So anyway, my number five movie that's about a movie or TV is Tropic Thunder. And even though it takes place after 1989, I enjoyed it quite a bit. So that's yeah,
1: no, it was good. I remember yeah. I, I've actually ever seen it the one time in the theater. And uh, I do remember enjoying it a lot. I remember they had trailers in the movie for other movies that those performers were in like i think they were going yes. to the premiere at the end and it's like you know coming soon and and that those those trailers were gold it, it was very much the thing the same thing Tarantino did with his um uh the death proof and yeah. uh i can't remember the no like i can't remember what the other movie was it's it, i'm blanking on it but uh where he had a bunch of fake trailers in the middle uh same idea so no it was good i i do remember we'll have to watch that one again soon. Yeah. okay so right. you're number 4 uh my number four movie about a movie about movies or tv yeah so this uh we go from 1992 with the last one to 1995 with this one mm-hmm. and it is get shorty so this stars uh this is a big cast it's big pedigree on it gene hackman uh, john travolta renee russo danny devito um james gandolfini it's uh written by elmore leonard uh elmore leonard uh is a very successful novelist. Uh, he wrote um, Rum Punch, which was turned into the movie Jackie Brown. He did obviously uh, this one. Um, he did Out of Sight, uh, which they turned into a movie with George Clooney, which we've actually done on this uh, this podcast. He wrote the the 310 to Yuma, which was a a, a western. Um, or he at least had a writing credit on it. I don't know if he actually wrote it, but, um, and he's the writer behind the the TV series justified. So he's got a lot of, uh, a lot of pedigree and, um, it was directed by, uh, Barry Sonfeld, who, uh, probably is most well known for directing the men in black films. And, uh, this one is about John Travolta's character is a mobster named Chili Palmer. And he comes to Hollywood to basically, because he's on the run and, He's tr- he meets Gene Haxman's character who's like a produ- I think he's a producer. And so he passes himself off as a screenwriter and he says, yeah, I'm a screenwriter. I'm here in Hollywood. And he goes, oh, well, what are you working on? So he starts pitching this idea and it's really just his life. And Gene Hackman's character is like, oh, this is fascinating. Well, you, you have a lot of talent as a screenwriter. Like, where does it go next? He's like, well, I don't know. Let, let's meet tomorrow and I'll tell you. And basically, as the movie's playing out and things are happening to his character, he's constantly reintroducing those things as what's happening next in the story he's trying to tell. And it's a very interesting uh, um, and, I mean, f- farcical, humorous way of looking at how, how movies are written. Because obviously, I, I don't think many movies are written in this exact way. But just the idea that... A screenwriter is obviously going to draw from their own life experience. That's you know, I took creative writing in school, and that's always the first thing they say: they write, write what you know, draw from your own personal experiences, and go from there. And so, this is a, an example of a, of a movie about a movie where it's you know, this this guy is is pitching this screenplay in real time as it's happening, and the real payoff. I mean, the movie came out in '95, so hopefully this isn't a, a spoiler, but the real payoff is by the end of the movie they've actually they have actually shot the movie so you see the ending of get shorty twice you see it once with the characters we've come to know and then they show it again with the actors they've cast in those roles finishing in the same thing because it's a repeat of what's happened in real life it was a real clever way to sort of put a bow on it at the end but it was good I I would highly recommend this one if you haven't seen it it's it's got humor it's got action it's definitely got that uh, Elmore Leonard stamp if you've seen some of his other works and you uh, you had a good time with those you probably like this one and uh, this is John Travolta coming off of uh, coming off of Pulp Fiction so it's like he's sort of just getting his juice back and uh, no it's good and uh, um, it's my number number four pick get shorty
0: yeah, like you mentioned, uh, Travolta, he was sort of in no man's land there for a while doing those, like, uh, look who's talking movies and stuff. And then Pulp Fiction brought him right back. And that's one of the big things that made this movie successful at the time, too. Um, okay, my number four, Amazon Women on the Moon. Okay, stick with me on this one, Derek, okay? I don't think a lot of people know about this movie, but I think those that do know this movie, they they know that it's amazing. So don't let the title throw you, Okay. The movie is basically about what, it's, what it was like to flip through the channels late at night back in the 1980s. There's these commercials, there's late night movies, Amazon Women on the Moon from the title. It was like this sort of make-believe movie that they come across starring Steve Forrest. Uh, it's got an old black and white movie. It's got Son of the Invisible Man, where Ed Bagley Jr. thinks he's invisible, but he really isn't. And so he like strips okay. his clothes off and he runs around naked and everyone, you know he can, he thinks everyone can't see him and they can see him. He's like ever see a shirt, make a phone call. <laughs> it's like, so they're like, Oh, it's the invisible man again. Great. <laughs> like, and then our hall is in this crazy opening sequence. It's great. There's soap operas in it. There's like these condom commercials. It's crazy, but it's really, really, really good. And the segments are all directed by different directors. There's like Joe Dante does one and Carl Gottlieb. There's a ton of actors in it, like Rosanna Arquette and Carrie Fisher, Joe Pantaleone, um, Michelle Pfeiffer. You know, I I think it's one of those hidden gem movies that that you really have to give it a try. I think you'll be surprised by how much you like it. So Amazon Women on the Moon, something you maybe have never even heard of. Those of you out there that are listening, that have seen this movie, you know what I'm talking about. And it's all about like flipping around TV late at night. It is awesome. So that's my number four.
1: Yeah, I've, I, I've heard of it. I've never seen it. It's um, so good. Was it, uh, was it in any way involved with, the, or a uh, part of the uh, the Zazz group, the Zucker, Abrams no. and Zucker? No, no. Like no. I say, it was all
0: like a bunch of different directors. They okay. all did the segments and like Peter Horton from like 30-something and stuff. He was directed and acted in it. Like it was just a whole bunch of mishmash of all these things. And
1: But it was just great. I loved it. I think I think it might be in my mind mixing it up with Kentucky Fried Movie. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. All right. Okay, uh, my number, number three. three. Yeah. So again, we're going to go from 95 to 1997. Uh, you ever wonder how pornographic films are made? Well, we watched Boogie Nights in 1997 and we found out. Um, this is one of my... All-time favorite movies makes my top 20 all-time favorite movie list. The, the ranking will change depending on the day of the week, but we've talked about this a few times before. Um, so this is uh, this is a story that takes place over about 10 years from sort of the mid to late 70s to the mid to late 80s, and it follows the story of uh, Dirk Diggler, played by Mark Wahlberg, uh, who's this, this young kid who uh, basically... Breaks into the the adult film business. Burt Reynolds plays uh, Jack Corner. Uh, Burt Reynolds nominated for an Academy Award for his role in this. Uh, regrettably, did not win. Um, and um, his character is the the producer, director, writer of these uh, these adult films. And Mark Wahlberg and this amazing cast of uh, performers: Julianne Moore, Louise Guzman, John C. Riley, Don Cheadle, William H. Macy, Heather Graham, like. This is a who's who. This is it, it, the, the the level of talent in this film is fantastic. They they take the material very seriously. There is a tremendous amount of nudity in this, as you would expect with a, a movie that's about adult films. They don't shy away from that. Um, they they show the highs and the lows. They show the problems these people have. They show them the you know the drug the rampant drug use that's going on, the violence that comes with a lot of this, and it follows it through. Um, the transition of adult movies from being shot like a real movie would on reel to reel and shown in a theater to converting to video tapes and moving to the home system and away from like old school you know porno houses it, it's it's a fascinating look at a very specific point in history when adult films um you know i mean obviously we still have i don't know if we call them films but you know pornography is still available but just the way it was treated handled accepted not accepted uh, the taboo around it it's it's explored in a very respectful way here in this film um like i said the performances were great the uh the direct it's written and directed by paul thomas anderson um like this movie has a tremendous pedigree and it's great and I, i'd be shocked if most if you know i'd be shocked if any of the listeners haven't seen this before but if you haven't seen this before like if as long as nudity isn't going to put you off you need to watch this movie it is long it's two and a half hours which sometimes (laughs) on a rewatch, you're like it is long half tomorrow kind of thing (laughs) but uh but no it's 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 fantastic and and it gives you that real uh inside look Uh, i I mean i don't know how accurate it is i got to think it's pretty accurate uh from what i know of paul thomas anderson he does his homework as a writer to make sure the details are correct and given the um Given the the fanfare around this movie when it came out in 97, I think if it was, you know, full of baloney, it, we would have heard about it when it came out. I don't think it would have been the success it was. And, I mean, I believe it, it was nominated for a bunch of Oscars. I can't remember. Was it nominated for Best Picture? It was not nominated for Best Picture. Burt Reynolds for uh, Best Supporting Actor, Julianne Moore, Supporting Actress, mm-hmm. and Best Writing, Paul Thomas Anderson. So that's my uh, that's my third pick here, Boogie Nights from 1997. I like how you described the movie as being long
0: especially the final scene yeah <laughs> i have a dirty um, joke about that but we're not going to talk about that here yes of course uh okay so my number three i'm going to go with a movie called s-o-b okay so back in 1981 blake edwards he was a director of breakfast Tiffany's, and he also directed the party and the pink panther movies back in the 70s well right but outside of those movies Edwards had a bit of a rough go of things with Hollywood, especially with the studio system back in the 70s. He had a lot of issues getting his his personal films made that he wanted to do. And then the ones that he did, like Darling Lily in 1970, like they just flopped. Right. So in 1981, he made this movie, SOB, about making a movie in Hollywood. And in it, Richard Mulligan plays a director and he's he's married to Julie Andrews and they make this kids musical together called Nightwind and it just flops right so he decides to go back and remake it as a softcore porn movie <laughs> now keep in mind julie Andrews was blake edwards real life wife right and she was obviously known for making kids movies you know throughout her career so this movie kind of mirrored reality to agree it's it's kind of semi autobiographical in a way so in the movie, they redo Nightwind, and in the final scene, Julie Andrews does a topless scene. This movie, I think, is very polarizing. Like I know people that that like it, and I, I know plenty of others that just hate it. Uh, I'm I'm in the former group. I mean, I like this movie. I think it's good, and it, it's got a boatload of actors at the time. Like like Larry Hagman, and there's like Robert Preston and William Holden and Robert Vaughn, and they all, in a lot of ways, kind of play various caricatures of themselves. It's a satire of the Hollywood movie industry. And of course, you get to see the actors from The Sound and Music do something completely out of character, to say the least. So that's my number three movie about movies or TV. So what's your number two?
1: I was going to say, I've never seen it. I've never even heard of it. So Mm. here we are. Uh, Okay, so we've uh, we've talked a lot about movies. I'm going to talk to talk one about television. Mm. Uh, This is my only one about TV. And again, it's sort of a sidestep. It's from 1998, and it's called The Truman Show, Jim Carrey. Yes. So, uh, for those maybe who haven't seen it or are unfamiliar with it, the idea is that Jim Carrey uh, has lived his whole life under a microscope, and his entire life, from the day of his birth right up to the time the movie starts, has been filmed as a reality TV show, except he is unaware that he lives in a reality TV show. Everything about his life is artificial. Every person he has ever interacted with is an actor. There are cameras in every single room that he ever goes into people, you know, as, as he grows up and the technology improves, the cameras get smaller. They can put more cameras in more places so that absolutely none of his life is missed for even a second. Uh, Even people will, they, they have a dedicated channel just called the Truman show and it just runs nonstop. So if you want to, in the middle of the night, turn it on and watch him sleeping, go for it. And the whole thing is that it has never gone off the air. And, the you know the the premise of the movie is he starts to realize that something's off very early in the movie and then as he becomes more aware that hey my life is artificial you know shenanigans happen uh, it's fantastic uh, it's a fantastic movie and it makes fantastic commentary about uh, television and camera and voyeurism and all the things and being watched and and you know the, the rights around that or not you know privacy and all that stuff but from the point of view of how it relates to what we're talking about you do see a tremendous amount of behind-the-scenes in the context. Like, it's the the show-within-the-show kind of thing. Like, the the Truman Show television show is still happening in the movie as we watch it, and we get to see sort of how the sausage is made. And some scenes, um, you know, as Truman becomes less predictable because he starts to realize that his life is not what he expects, the performers and the people that are making the show have to really – you know tap dance around things to try and keep up the facade and i think this this uh, this movie the timing was excellent because it was only you know it was around this time or like within a year or two that reality tv started to really take off and this this basically was a, an example of like how extreme reality tv can be and um so i think that this this fits into our category about you know movies are about movies or tv um not that it's showing you a real tv show but I got to think that we are, if we are not already here, we are very close to being here. It's almost a cautionary tale now that so many people put so much of their life on the internet while well, maybe not TV anymore, but on the internet that, uh, you know, we are a society of voyeurs. We want to watch other people doing the most mundane things, brushing their teeth, going to work, sleeping, like. These aren't you know he's not an athlete he's not a superhero he's just a regular guy and and people are fascinated by just being able to watch him. So that's my uh, that's my number 2 pick the Truman show. And that was 97,
0: right? That that came Uh 98. 1998, which is interesting because um that was a couple years before reality tv really took off because really 2000 yeah. with like survivor and stuff when it took off so it definitely was ahead of its time and the other thing like you touched base on i think is important there is just how much reality tv is just manipulated it's it's not really reality tv it's all manipulated for the cameras and stuff like that and i definitely agree it's more of a cautionary tale that's a good bank i like that one have um, you i assume you've seen this movie yes I have you seen see it, it recently? No, I watched it way back in the day.
1: Yeah. We may have to revisit this one yeah. in the not too distant future. It might,
0: it might be interesting to see how it how it plays now in today's world. Yeah. So yeah. I thought it was interesting. You mentioned that, you know, you're, because we kind of lumped this all together. There were This is about, we didn't decide to go movies about movies and then do another show on movies about TV. We lumped them kind of together. And that's your only pick that has about movies about TV. My top two are both about TV. Okay. Oh, okay. So this is the way I'm going to go with it. My number two, <laughs> boy. Okay, so it's called Tunnel Vision. All right? So it's a TV parody from 1976. It was directed by Neil Israel. And he directed movies like Bachelor Party and Moving Violations. Remember that one, Derek? Oh, Moving Violations. I've definitely seen that. Oh, he also paired up with Pat Proft. And they wrote Real Genius. That's a personal favorite movie. Which I enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. So back in 1976, though, he made Tunnel Vision. So one thing about me, I was always a huge fan of the underground comedy movement. Back in the '70s, it was really the foundation of the American comedy scene in the late '70s and the early '80s. Like there was National Lampoon's Lemmings, and there was Second City in Chicago, and there was underground films like you mentioned, a Kentucky Fried Movie, like like that. And they were all part of that that whole comedy scene at the time. But one of my favorites was Tunnel Vision. So I'm, I got a lot to talk about this one. So have you ever seen it, or have you ever heard of it? I've never even heard of it. Okay. No. So it's, it's basically the premise is it's about this TV station that has, and, it, and again, it came out in 76, but it takes place in 1985. So the premise is, you know, in 10 years, like there's just going to be less censorship. So the idea is it's a TV station that has zero censorship. Okay. So what okay. it does is it just puts out the most offensive, vile programming you can ever imagine. And it's got actors in it like Howard Hessman is in it and Chevy Chase and Al Franken and Tom Davis. But the two things I like the most about it, there's these, okay. So there's this this fake TV show that they show. <laughs> it's called it's a sitcom called Ramon and Sonia, and it's got Lorraine Newman from Saturday Night Live, and Ira Miller plays Ramon, and they're this like vile, disgusting couple. And I remember the theme song is like Ramon and Sonia, and the rest of their disgusting family, ding. like a typical kind of sitcom thing but then it's like Ramon gets home from working in a cab all day and then she's like oh what happened today and I cannot repeat what he says like it's just not even with the censor beep it's just so offensive and the wife is a prostitute and so is the daughter and then they make fun of about like 10 different groups you know in a span of about four minutes so I'm not saying I approve of any of this you know that's not the case But I've I've always mentioned I like pop culture that pushes the envelope. Mm -hmm. And the premise is basically what could be the most offensive thing that you could ever think of in your life. And that's what this is. It's on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube and you search Ramon and Sonia, Tunnel Vision, I cannot repeat a single word of the dialogue. But it's, it's like the most offensive stuff ever put on film. And it's just crazy. But then later later in, in the movie, Tunnel Vision, there's a movie trailer that they show. And it's for a movie called Get Head. It's not what you think, though. So it's about this cop that gets blown up. And then the doctors save the only part of his body that survives his head. So he's this, like, disembodied head. And I remember, like, years later, they did a sketch on In Living Color were Damon Williams. Oh, the head detective? Yeah, head detective. Yeah, I yeah. remember that one. But Tunnel Vision did it first. It was They were definitely inspired by Tunnel Vision when they did that. So it was called Get Head. And John Candy is in it. Okay, so he was, the at the time, an unknown improvisational actor from Second City in Toronto back in 76. And he plays the partner, the cop's partner. And then he goes around carrying this hat box everywhere and then he opens it up. And the inside is David Lander's head. So David Lander's a guy that played Squiggy. On Laverne and Shirley okay. okay So he's the head inside and then together they like fight crime but overall like it, it's as far as subversive comedy goes like that underground movement back in the 70s it was really really key and, and and tunnel vision for me was one of the best parts of that comedy movement so not a lot of people know about this one but it is something else let me tell you go to YouTube and look up Ramon and Sonia from tunnel vision and like, just be prepared to be offended. It's it's almost like they said, okay, we have four minutes. Let's see how many people we can offend in four minutes. Okay, go tick tick tick. <laughs> just like crazy. Anyway, wow. So it nope. it was it was like I say a part of that whole movement. So yeah, I I feel it it deserves to be talked
1: about. Uh, well, I'm a little surprised this didn't show up on my Netflix account. Netflix thinks you might like tunnel vision. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where it would be available. I don't know. So okay, yeah, so your know. number
1: one movie about movies or TV. all right. Again, as I said, this isn't in any particular order other than there's chronological, but mm-hmm. this one is a very strong, and it is from 1999, Bowfinger, starring Eddie Murphy and Steve Martin. And so, Chris, have you seen Bowfinger? I have not. I have not. No. It's directed by Frank Oz. You know who Frank oh, Oz I is? I like Frank right. Oz. He's, He's the voice Cookie of this Monster. Piggy, cookie Monster. He was yeah. the voice of Yoda. He's directed a lot of great movies as well. It was yeah, written he, by he, Steve directed. He Mark. directed Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, uh, the movie was written by Steve Martin and uh, it also stars, in addition to Steve Martin, Eddie Murphy, it stars Heather Graham and Christine Baranski. Um, Terrence Stamp has it, Robert Downey Jr. is in it a little bit. It's, um, it's, the idea is that um, Steve Martin is a writer, producer, director trying to, um, I, I don't, I think they've established that he has had success in the past and has fallen on hard times just trying to figure out how to get back into the game and nobody's taking him seriously. And, um, and then he decides to, um, basically fake a movie. He's trying to get Eddie Murphy's character is like a really big star. And he's like, Oh, this movie would be perfect with him." And he's like, well, what if we shoot the movie, all the peripheral scenes, and then we basically just ambush Eddie Murphy's character, like sort of in real life and, and like film around him. So he doesn't even need to know he's in the movie, but we'll put him in the movie and hilarity ensues. Um, It's, this is a great movie. I haven't seen it in a while, but uh, I've seen it a handful of times. It's quite good. And one of the really interesting sort of side plots that's happening is Heather Graham, uh, her character comes in at the beginning. They basically, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of like one of those, um, 80s sex comedies where it's like oh we need a girl who's basically just going to be here look pretty and take her shirt off and that's kind of role that they they're casting for so they bring on heather graham and when she first comes in she doesn't really know a lot about how movies are made so she's she starts you know being affectionate to the screenwriter and she's like oh you know why don't you write me into more scenes and and he's like oh i'll do what i can i do what i can right and she's making out with him and then when she realizes well Even if he writes her into scenes, it's not up to him whether the scenes get put in. So they're like, well, now what do you do? And then they're like, well, you know, the star has more input. Okay, so then she starts to hook up with the star of the movie. Oh, well, he doesn't have as much input. You really need to get to the director. Okay, then she hooks up with the director and it's like, oh, well, he has the most input. So if you get this sort of satirical and cautionary tale about like some of the behind-the-scenes things and how things work, and it it sort of falls back to what I started with with the player, where, you know, you you sort of get to see how the sausage is made, you get to see the the things that need to get done in order to uh, in order to ma- have a movie get made, and in this case, it's this sort of guerrilla style shooting of the movie where they're just we don't have really any money we don't have any permission the star of our movie doesn't even know he's in the movie we're just gonna do what we need to do and hope that we can put a movie together by the end and uh, you know when you get steve martin and eddie murphy together you're you're gonna have some funny stuff in it and my own you know this movie's great i love it and uh yeah it, it's the number one simply uh, it's number one because i think it's great but it's it's also number one just because i'm doing them in order it was 1999 and i also want just sort of want to say as a tack onto this one of the other movies that i was going to put on my list but i didn't again because it's quite new is also an eddie murphy one called dolomite is my name but it's more of a biopic um about um oh my god i can't think of his name is and um sorry, i'm just going to click on it here give me a second but it came out in 2019 um eddie murphy got a lot of critical praise for it and um but again i tried to stick away to stay away from um Stay away from movies that were more like real life biopics. Like, I know we want to do movies about movies, but I didn't want to do a movie about movies where it was just following around a person who, for, in real life, was was in the film industry. Um, Rudy Ray Moore, that's his name. Eddie Murphy played Rudy Ray Moore, who played the character Dolomite. So, it's uh, sort of an honorable mention to tack onto my Bowfinger pick. So, anyway, what's your number one, Chris? So, my number one, I'm going back to TV
0: on this one, and this is. <laughs> This is actually a very special, special film. It's one of my favorite movies that came out of the 80s. And it's my favorite year from 1982. So this pick, I think, is a little bit polarizing, like a few of my picks tonight here, actually, come to think of it. But I know people that love this movie, like me, and I know people that don't like it at all. I remember I had my wife watch this back when years ago. We were just first dating, and she hated it. I love this movie. I think it's, I think, like I say, I think it's very special. It's a very special, special film. So it's it's about a behind-the-scenes look at a TV show back in the 50s. Okay. It's basically this thinly veiled parody of your show of shows with Sid Caesar. Like in the movie, the character's name is King Kaiser, you know? Okay. And but the story centers around Benjamin Stone. And it's this guy who's a writer on the on the show, played by Mark Lynn Baker. Do you Remember Cousin Larry? From Perfect Strangers? Yes, yes.
1: yes. He's, he, I just saw him this week, and he's in the new She-Hulk show on Marvel. Yeah, on I X believe Plus. he was all,
0: He was also in Succession recently, too. So, anyway, so yes, he's a, yes, he's he totally a writer was. on this show. And it's basically like a weekly sketch show, kind of like the, the SNL of the 50s. Okay? Okay. So, Benji Stone is his character, and he's a writer on here. But his idol is the movie star Alan Swan, played by Peter O'Toole, in the best performance of his career and let me tell you that's saying something because the guy was Lawrence of freaking Arabia right mm-hmm. but he he, Peter O'Toole basically plays Errol Flynn kind of in this movie and so he's the guest star on the show that week the problem is he's this like raging alcoholic he cannot stay sober he can't show up on time so they decide to dump him and Benji Stone is like that's my idol so he's like okay listen I promise I'll babysit him all week and I'll make sure he shows up on time and sober to every rehearsal and to the live show. And it is absolutely amazing. It's a, it's a look behind the scenes at this frantic live TV show. And it's also a look at what it's like when you meet your idols. And sometimes when they aren't what you think they are. And it, so it, it kind of pulls down the the curtain, on, not just on TV and how TV is made, but it also pulls back the curtain on on your perception of of actors and stars and things like that and it it's got amazing performances by everybody it was directed by richard benjamin his direction is fantastic spot-on direction and like i say the supporting casters william macy there's selma diamond jessica harper Lady kazan is outstanding george weiner they're all so good but peter o'toole like he just steals the show he should have won the, uh, the the Oscar for Best Actor that year. He lost to Ben Kingsley. He was nominated, but he lost to Ben Kingsley and Gandhi. And, like, Ben Kingsley was, like, this white English guy playing this Indian Gandhi. Like, I, I don't know. Peter O'Toole should have won. Although he was also up against Dustin Hoffman for Tootsie. That was a really strong year for acting, wow, that year. But... My favorite year, it's just so good. It's one of my favorite movies from the 80's. and, and rightly so. I just it, I, this, it's a very heartwarming movie to me. So it is definitely my number one movie about movies or TV.
1: Uh, I've never seen it. I've never even heard of it, but uh you've you've sold me on it. If oh, I so if I can good. find a copy, I'll give it a watch. I'm just sort of looking through now. I'm not seeing it readily available on our streamers unfortunately, but I'll keep my eye open for it. Yeah, maybe I'll try and get us to like watch it sometime on the show here and and do
0: that. But it, mm-hmm. it, it is it's something else. It really really is something else. One of those I think hidden gems. But I mean it was like critically acclaimed at the time. Like I say it was nominated for Academy Awards and so on and so forth, but uh, but uh, yeah, no, it was good. Okay, so that's our top 5 Movies about movies or TV. So what do you say we now have some? Fun with Caveman. All right, Derek. So since we looked at movies that were about movies or TV, I, thought, I decided I was going to go like like full out on that. I'm going to go full card. I never go full card. <laughs> <laughs> but I just did like a total mashup of it all. And so what we're going to do is we're going to play a little game that I like to call... Pick the flick. Yeah, pick the flick. You get the synopsis, then pick the flick. You get the year, pick the flick. Okay, I'm going to give you the year and the synopsis, obviously. You can tell by the song. And you just have to guess the movie title. And the common thread is all of these movies were actually based on TV shows okay movies based on tv shows movies that were based on tv shows okay so it was, okay it was a tv show for years or whatever and then they decided to make a movie about it could be years later don't know so i'm going to give you the year and the synopsis okay and then you guess yep. it all right so these are easy 1995 all right the original 1970s tv family is now placed in the 90s where they're even more square and out of place than ever is that the brady bunch movie Yes. All right. Two thousand and eight. A New York City writer on sex and love is finally getting married, but her three best girlfriends must console her after one of them inadvertently leads her fiance to jilt her.
1: Wow. It's based on a TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh. I have no idea. Sex and the City. Sex and the City. Oh, right. That was a TV show before yeah. it was a movie. I guess because it was on HBO, I never heard me it was a TV show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good answer. Good okay. question. 2003,
0: an imprisoned drug kingpin offers a huge cash reward to anyone that can break him out of police custody. And only the LAPD's specialized team can prevent it.
1: Yeah, this was a fun one. SWAT.
0: Yes, based on a TV show from the 70s. Okay. 1998. I can't give you their name. So it's got to be two agents must fight the government in a conspiracy and find the truth about an alien
1: colonization of Earth. Oh, is it uh, the X-Files movie? Fight the Future, I think it's called. Yes. Yes. The synopsis originally said Mulder and Mulder Scully. Mulder and Scully. I'm like, ah, I get that. idea. I remember <laughs> when
0: that came out in videos. We're going to Blockbuster. Yeah. Okay. 2012. A pair of underachieving cops are sent back to a local high school to blend in
1: and bring down a synthetic drug ring. Name the Way better than it had any right to be. 21 Jump Street.
0: Based on that Johnny Depp TV show that was back on Fox back in like 87 to 91. Okay, 1991, con artists plan to fleece an eccentric family using an accomplice who claims to be their long lost uncle. Wow. What
1: was the year? 1991. 1991. It sounds familiar, but I don't know. It's the Adams Family.
0: All right. Based on the old black and white TV show with John Astin. Yep. Okay. All right. 2005. Thinking he can overshadow an unknown actress in the part, an egocentric actor unknowingly gets a witch- Cast in an upcoming television remake of a classic sitcom.
1: Yeah, that was um, that was that was. Uh, oh my God, I can picture the actor and the actress. It was Nicole Kidman, and uh, what the hell was it called? It's uh, Samantha the Witch. It was uh, Bewitched. Yes, based on the Elizabeth Montgomery show. Yeah, back from ABC. Will back Ferrell, back. that's the guy. I yes. got him. I, I can picture him. I just couldn't think of his name.
0: All right, two thousand three women detectives with a mysterious boss retrieve stolen voice ID software using martial arts, tech skills, and sex appeal. Yeah, it was uh, Charlie's Angels. All right, 2009, when an Android replica of a boy is rejected by his aggrieved creator, he goes off to find his own identity in an adventure that would make him the greatest heroes of his time.
1: Was that Astro Boy? <laughs>
0: Based on that cartoon. Okay, last one. 1980. A week in the life of a game show host and creator who lives through a series of outrageous competitors, stressful situations, a nervous breakdown, and other com- comical characters involved in his life and work on the TV show.
1: From 1980? 1980. No clue. No idea. The Gong Show movie. If
0: you say so. Chuck Bears. I remember him being out in the desert in that one. So, okay.
1: You got a lot of them, though. You did pretty that was well. was it? Okay, yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, I, I, the ones I missed were just shows, for the most part, were shows I didn't even know. So. Yeah.
0: And I mean, like, I, I tried
1: to give you some, like, ones, like, that
0: are not just from the 70s and 80s. Yes. You know, I tried no, I appreciate that. So, that. so um, okay. So, next episode, it's time for a, quote, unquote, newer film. Because, I mean, we had our we had our draft from the eighties and we did the eighties movies and you now we did the tight. So time for a new movie. So since I don't watch anything past 1989, as we know, it's over to you, Derek, to pick a movie for us to watch and come back. We're going to review it next week. So what have you got for us?
1: So I, uh, I decided that I want to go back to one of my favorite genres, which is science fiction. And I know you definitely have not seen this movie, but let me just set this up for you. You have seen the movie Groundhog Day, right? With, with Bill Murray. Yes. Yes, I have. Do you, you know the premise? Like he just of keeps course. repeating yeah. over and over. Well, you know, I, I tell you what, they should announce a sequel to Groundhog Day and then just re-release the original. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I'd pay to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the movie I'm going to get you to watch is from 2011 and it's called Source Code. It's, um, yeah, I know you've never heard of it. It's called, it stars Jake Gyllenhaal and Vera Farmiga, Jeffrey Wright. Um, you get a lot of people in this that you're like, Oh, I totally recognize who that person is. Um, and the idea is that it's this, uh, this guy who is working for this, you know, this government agency where, he's got to relive eight minutes of his life. Well, not even his life. He gets put in this thing where he has to relive the same eight minutes over and over and over again because there's a bomb on a train that's gonna go off. And he, every time he goes in t- back to the beginning, he he needs to do more investigation to try and figure out what happened and how could you have stopped this if you had a second chance to do it. And so you get this same scene of eight minutes happening over and over and over again. And just like Groundhog Day, it becomes a very interesting exercise in creating the movie of how does the director show you the same scenes with the same actors saying the same dialogue sitting in the same place on this train over and over again without you getting bored. And it's, it's really, it's, I really enjoy this movie. It's directed by Duncan Jones, who um, is the son of David Bowie and who also directed a movie you and Yancey reviewed way back when that I know you did not like called moon, but uh, oh, yeah. this one, I really enjoyed. I caught the last 10 minutes of it on cable like a month or two ago. And so I wrote it down as something I wanted you to watch. Um, it is available on Netflix here in Canada. Uh, Source Code 2011 with Jake Gyllenhaal, directed by Duncan Jones. Give it a watch. Uh, come back next week. We'll, uh, we'll talk all about it and uh, we'll take it from there. We will watch Source Code. We will come back and review it. But until then, this is Chris McBrien
0: on behalf of myself. And Derek Meyer saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at PopGoesYourWorld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.